You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. What I want to do today as we think about this conclusion to our missions week, I want to prepare you for being on mission. Now, I'm not just speaking to our partners, those who will be getting on planes and going to their fields of ministry around the world. But each of us, as we walk out of this door and go get in our cars and go back to our neighborhoods, we are called to be missionaries everywhere we go. As I think about these, these moments when we have guests here, when we have our mission partners here, I feel like I need to kind of preach to them. But I also feel like that what I'm saying to them needs to be said to every one of you. Each of us are called to go on mission. And I want to prepare you to do that. And I believe that God's word today will help us do that in one important way. And that is the word of God today will help lighten our load. If you have flown on a plane anytime recently, if I use the word or if I say 50 pounds or 23 kilograms, does that, com- does that compute? Do you know what I'm talking about? That's, that's what you have to convince your wife to get the weight down in the, in the suitcase. It's got to be below 50 pounds, okay? Uh, the guys are pretty bad about it, too. That's not a lot, but because it, it adds up very quickly. But when you're traveling, the weight matters. Now, let me just say this. As we are going out to do the work of God, the weight matters. And what I'm talking about here in particular is the weight of sin. If we are going to be the effective missionaries, if we're going to be believers who make a difference in the world, we need to let go of sin so we can be lifted up for the work that God has called us to do. And if you'll stand with me for just a moment, we're going to read from two of the prophets to see exactly what we mean by letting go. Letting go to be lifted up. And we begin in Daniel. In the book of Daniel chapter 9, we have one of the longest prayers in all of Scripture. And I'm just going to grab a little uh, snippet of it and from it in verse 3 down to verse 7. Let's hear what Daniel says. He says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. I'm just going to pick up the first part of verse 7. Notice this. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. What do we get? What do we contribute? Verse 7 says, but to us, open shame. Now, let's go to the book of Joel. If you can turn over there to chapter 2. If not, it's right here on the screen behind me, and you can follow We see in the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verses 12, 13, and 14, right in the middle of a judgment oracle, we hear these words. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Verse 14. Who knows whether he will turn, uh, will not turn and relent 
and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and we pray that you will help us to be prepared today to be the servants we are called to be as missionaries across the world or even in our backyard. Lord, help us to let go of anything today that is holding us back, weighing us down. God, we want to lift up your name. And so we pray, God, that you will lift our hearts this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of my professors in my doctoral studies, Brian Chapel, one of the greatest preachers maybe of our generation, he wrote a little commentary on the book of Daniel. And he says this, this is a paraphrase, he says, before you go on mission, you'd be wise to prepare your hearts. I think that is great advice for missionaries. I think that is great advice for Sunday school teachers. I think that's great advice for anybody who is saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We want to go on mission. We want to do something for the Lord, but we need to prepare our hearts. And what we need to realize is, is that our hearts are going to not be effective if they are weighed down by sin. In fact, I would say that every single one of you in this room, God has a mighty work that he wants to do through you. And the only thing holding us back is sin. And what sin does is sin replaces the Word of God. Sin is when we decide to do things our way instead of God's way. And God's way is clearly defined by the Word of God. And so what we say here is, I've said it several times in the last few weeks, Part of the Christian faith is letting go, um, emptying ourselves of the poison of sin. I said that a few Wednesday nights ago to our crowd there. We let go of the poison of sin, but what we have to always remember is that we're filling our hearts back up with the Word of God. If we leave a void, if we just try to get rid of the sin of the day, the sin that's plaguing us right now, and we don't fill it with the word, the devil will be more than glad to fill your heart with the next sin in line. You understand? Your heart is always going to be absorbing what's next. Make sure you choose to pour the word into it. Now, the reason I know this is true is because if it was good for Daniel, it's good for you. The book of Daniel is a beautiful book of prophecy and teaching. In fact, the prayer that Daniel offers here is a model for us in so many ways. But what we often miss is that the prophet Daniel is inspired by the prophet Jeremiah. If you look at verses 1 and 2, you'll see that Daniel starts this prayer under conviction. He has read the Word of God. So a man who is tasked with writing the Word of God was impressed by the Word of God. And it reminds us that it's not about the man writing the prophecy. It is about the Holy Spirit of God working through these prophets of old to give us the Word of God. If the prophet can be uh, convicted and convinced by another prophet, then we can be convicted as well. Joel is a different story. The passage I read to you there is an interruption in an otherwise bleak passage. For 11 verses, Joel is talking about the wrath and judgment of God that's coming on the people of God because of their sins. And right in mid-discussion, he says, but you know, there's hope. Yet even now, he says, and we'll come back to that in a minute. So with Joel, what we have is, is the prophet talking about the judgment of God, but the hope we have if we will let go of our sins. Let's go back to the image of packing for a trip. Here Joel is saying, your baggage is way too heavy. They're not even going to let you on the plane. 
But he says, even now, if you'll let go some of that weight, you can go on mission. These men felt deep conviction about sin. But I want you to know this. It's easy to feel deep conviction about the other guy's sin. It needs to start with you feeling convicted about your own sin. Daniel is not pointing a finger just at a wicked nation. And Joel is showing us the same thing, that the whole nation is wicked. They've decided to go against the the rules of God, the the prophecies of God that they've been given for their benefit and for their well-being. But in each instance, we see these men understanding that they can't point the finger at other people if they're not willing to look inside their own heart. So sin, human sin, is the fundamental problem. Your sin is a fundamental problem. And when I say fundamental, what I mean by that is everybody has it. Sin is not just here or there. It's not in one culture or another culture. It's not in one person or another person. It is in all of us. We all are impacted by the fall. Genesis 3. We are all sinners. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. Here's where the difference is, however. Everybody's a sinner, but some people stay in their sin and some people let it go. Some people understand that their sin needs to be paid for by a price greater than they have in their wallet, greater than they have in their mind or their hearts. They understand that sin can only truly be paid for by the blood of Jesus. So here's the deal. We all have sin, but it doesn't have to stay there. And the prophets are going to show us how to let that go. What is a sin? Well, let me put it to you this way. If it is something that Jesus died for, that's a sin. And it needs to be let go. There is no reason to hold on to something that Jesus once nailed to his cross. And if we say, okay, pastor, well, what has this to do with fasting? We talked about fasting last week. We're going to talk about fasting some today. But what I want you to realize is, is that fasting is one of the best ways to lighten the load of sin. So when we come to fasting today, what we need to realize is, is that our passages of Scripture, and this blows my mind, that, that for years, I don't know that I've seen this, fasting isn't a process that we endeavor to do as like the best Christians of the bunch. Well, do you fast? Well, I'm a really good Christian, I fast, so you're probably not as good. No, that's not how fasting works. Fasting isn't a mark of spiritual maturity. Fasting begins, where it really begins, is the admission of sinfulness. I think that should rock your world. I don't know how you fasted this week, but my fast this week, I don't think I was focused as much on that as I should be. As I began to read my own sermon this morning again, it's like, wow, okay, God, I hear you now. Fasting is not something we do when we get to that point where we say, well, I'm spiritually mature. No, we do it so that we can become more spiritually mature. We fast to let go of sin. So let me just say this. Before you go out on mission, I believe that God is going to lay upon your mind and upon your heart a sin that must be let go. And before we leave here today, I pray you'll leave that sin here in this room, offered up as an offering unto God, and who knows? Maybe he will bless you in ways you never imagined. Let's take a look at Daniel 3. Turn there first. We're going to look at that first. My first point is on Daniel. The last two will be on Joel. Daniel 9, 3 through 7, which we read to you a moment ago. I want to tell you something. If you are holding a Bible in your hand or you have it on your phone there, you have a treasure in your hand. 
The Word of God is a treasure. It is a gift from God. Those of us who have been reading it for a long time know that, but let me just ask, if it is possible that God has spoken, if it is possible that He has put down in written form His will, shouldn't we seek it out? And if we find it and know that it's from Him, should we not obey it? Daniel would have said yes. The books that Daniel was reading, Daniel 9-2, he was reading the prophet Jeremiah. And here is a man who wrote Holy Scripture himself, and yet as he reads the prophet Jeremiah, he perceives that Jeremiah is talking about himself. He's talking about Daniel. Daniel says, Jeremiah is speaking to me. I am a sinner. There is death in the city. There is death in our country, and it's because of our sinfulness unto God. Daniel is convicted in his heart. Now let me just say this to you. The Word of God will not comfort us in our sins, nor let us grow comfortable with the status quo. If we are reading the Bible properly, we're not going to read it and go, yep, I got that figured out. Oh, yeah, I figured that out a, a long time ago. Yep, that too. I got this all figured out. No, what happens is, is if you read the Word of God as you should, Every single time, I mean, sometimes I'm reading the genealogies, all those names in Hebrew, and I'm convicted that something's wrong. God's Word is a powerful force. It cuts deep. It shows us where we have grown comfortable. And I would say the American church, our greatest challenge is that we are comfortable, not just materially many times, but spiritually. We think if we come to church every once in a while, uh, offer a tithe, do a ministry here or there, that that means that we are okay with God. No, a lot of people can do a lot of things that look good to a lot of people, but God knows your heart. God understands, and we can never settle for the status quo. We must let the Word of God get all over us. Now look at verse 3. I want you to see this. It's interesting. In verse 3, he says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God. Do you see that in the text? The Lord God. If you'll notice in your text, Lord is L, capital, O-R-D, lowercase. That's the Hebrew word, Adonai, Adonai. And it is a word of respect. So if you were meeting someone that was a rabbi or a, a government official, it would not have been unusual to call them Adonai, Lord. It could be used in that respectful way in terms of a salutation. It's often used in Scripture, though, to show respect to God. But it's a distant term. It's like when you meet somebody that's a very, very powerful person and you say, Sir. Now, if you come and, and, and talk to somebody that you know very well and call them Sir, they're going to know you're giving them a hard time. But if you're being serious there, it shows formality that you realize that you're, you're talking to someone um, that's, that, that's got power and authority. Just like a, a judge, we say the honorable judge so-and-so. It's the same kind of thing. It's a, it's a way of saying, you have authority over me. So in one sense, it's interesting here that that's what, what, what Daniel says. But I want you to go down a little bit further. Because if you'll notice, he says in verse 4, I prayed to the Lord. Do you see the difference in the text? L-O-R-D, all caps, my God. There in the Hebrew, he says, Yahweh, my Elohim. Yahweh is the personal name of God given to Israel. It's like a first name basis kind of word. So notice what happens. As Daniel begins to confess his sins, he goes from a formal place with God to a more personal place with God. 
when we get right with God, when we are honest about our failures and our sins, that's when God draws us nearer. That's when we are closer to Him. And we can say, God, thank you for being with me. Thank you for being that, that one who sticks closer than a brother. This is a beautiful picture of God's grace and mercy. It's important for us to know that Daniel was not part of a priestly family. He was not clergy in any way, shape, form, or fashion. He was just a man seeking God. This is important. Daniel was a man of great power and authority, but he wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a preacher in the sense that I'm a preacher. He was not a person who had a Levitical or Arianic lineage. Here's a person who was just seeking God. So hear this. Anyone with God's word in their hand has the opportunity to have a heart right before God. It doesn't matter who you are. If you are serious about God's word, you can have a personal relationship with him where Yahweh is your God. That's the point here. Now, notice this. Many people have a Bible, but not everybody's taking it seriously. You can have the Word of God. You can have it memorized, but that doesn't mean that you're convicted by it, that you're showing remorse. Look at verse 3. This is a man who is turning his face to the Lord. He's pleading for mercy. I would go even further. It's not just fasting and sackcloth and ashes, but notice what he says. He says in verse 5, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. So you know what a a thesaurus is? Okay, that's not, that's not like some kind of dinosaur. You know what a thesaurus is? It, is? it is just something where you can find the big words to put in your term paper to impress your teacher. So you take the more simple word and it shows you the other synonyms. Here's what's interesting to me. Daniel, as he's being honest with God, he uses, as far as I can tell, every single word for sin in Hebrew in one verse. Because every one of those words means slightly different things in terms of falling short of the glory of God. But he goes at it. In verses 5 and 6, really, we see everything he says there. And have not listened, verse 6, to your servants, the prophets. We've been deaf to the word of God. If you look there, this is a man getting right with God. This is a man who sees his sin and is able to grow spiritually. People who fast do so because they are convicted of their sins. Daniel's fast is not there, not happening because he's the best of the best, but because he's admitting his sin. Don't for a second think that just because you won't admit your sins that God doesn't know all about them. God knows all about your sins, and just because you have hidden them in your heart, maybe even your spouse doesn't know they're there, doesn't make it okay, and doesn't mean that God is giving you a free pass. You say, well, I'm being blessed. Things are going good. Well, the devil sometimes behaves like an angel of light. Maybe the blessing in your life is to blind you to the darkness of your heart. We have to dig deep. Sin is not something that's on the surface. Sin almost always is deep, deep, deep inside. And only those who are willing to let the Spirit of God dig will find those things. Daniel speaks of shame. And I believe it's the shame. But us, it's open shame. He says there in verse 7, it is shame that drives him to fast. Whereas many American Christians probably fast because uh, they are self-sufficient. They feel like they're in such a good place that now they they can afford to fast. But I want you to know that sin pushes us down into a valley. The old Puritans knew this well. But it is in the valley where we begin to see 
that God's power can be revealed. It is in the valley that we are made more like Christ. I hope you realize that it is in the valley of fasting that God can speak most clearly to our hearts. Notice this, we need a hunger for God to replace our hunger for sin. And that's what fasting does. It puts the hunger in the right place. It puts hunger in focus, knowing that sin is a reality. The second thing we see here is in Joel. So if you have your copy of scripture, turn on over to Joel. We'll, we'll just take it the rest of the way here with these three verses. But in verses 12 and 13, we see the message of Joel is to return with all your heart. Now, Daniel and Joel are writing in a time of severe personal and national crisis. It's a time of war for Joel, and it's a time of being a refugee. That's what Daniel really is um, in a far off uh, place with a foreign king ruling over him. These men are not thinking of suffering and suffering amongst a nation, amongst a people in a hypothetical way. Their feet feel the flames. They are close enough to fill the flames. And as they're growing more intense, these two prophets know that God must act if there will be salvation. Now, I told you that Joel is talking about the day of the Lord, the Yom Yahweh. It, this uh, prophetic image is one that is developed throughout the rest of the prophets. The day of the Lord is ultimately the day when God comes back and judges the whole world. We see that in its fulfillment in the book of Revelation. It is hinted at in all of the prophetic works. But Joel is saying the day of the Lord, the day of judgment is coming. He says that for 11 verses, but verse 12, look at it again. He says, yet even now, that's key. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Notice this, things according to Joel are about as bad as they get. And he says, even with all this sin in the land, even though all this darkness, all of this betrayal of the word of God, he says, yet even now, if you will return to God, you may be saved. The prophets are pretty simple, really. They have one message again and again. It's the Hebrew word sub, and that means return. God is constantly speaking through the prophets using that Hebrew word sub, saying, return to me, come back, stop walking in the wrong direction and come my way. And that's a good thing. In fact, we see in these three verses in Joel, four truths about God. Let me just show you these four truths about God to help us. Because listen, Joel's in the midst of great suffering. In fact, Daniel is too. Here are four truths that we see specifically in Joel. One, God is gracious. Two, God is merciful. Three, God is slow to anger. And four, God abounds in steadfast love. I want you to know that no matter what you're going through, these four truths can be an anchor to you. If you have sinned and hurt people in your life, if you have been sinned against and are hurting, I need you to hear these words. God is gracious. He has forgiven you for your sins. He forgives other people of their sins. God is a God of grace. God is merciful. He has compassion for you. No matter what you've done, no matter what sin is on your account, God's mercy is greater. Three, God is slow to anger. You better be glad about this because if he wasn't, you'd be in a whole mess of trouble. And the reason he is slow to anger is because he is full. He abounds in steadfast love. Joel sees that there is hope 
for a people who will repent. Let me say this. There is hope for you today if God is showing you a weight of sin and you will let it go. In fact, repentance turns our world upside down. And sometimes it will turn the world right side up. So here's the deal. Those of you who are going out to change the world, those of you who are missionaries, those of you who are going out to change your neighborhood, if you will repent, that will turn your world upside down. For a little while, you're going to have to stare in the mirror and look at the person who did something that was very ugly. You're going to have to say, I am guilty. But if you will allow Jesus to forgive you and turn your world upside down for a season, he may then just use you to turn the world upside down. That's what we're called to do, is to turn the world upside down. And only those who get serious about prayer and fasting can experience this. It is then that God may open your eyes so that you can watch him work. Returning, this word in Hebrew, sub, it means, as I said, to return, but, but it is a total reorientation toward Yahweh, toward the Lord. What you need to do, if you are seriously convicted of sin, you need to know which direction to go. So, again, I said earlier, if you've sinned and you admit it, but you don't fill your heart with God's word, you're just going to find another sin to fill that void. But what you need to do instead is, by the word of God and guided by the word of God, we turn from our sin and reorient our lives toward Yahweh, toward God, towards Jesus. That's what we have to do. And it is the scriptures that give us the clear picture and path of what it means to walk after Jesus, to follow Jesus, to find Jesus. What does that look like in this world? We have 66 books to give us more than just a hint. We know the way, the truth, and the life. And he is Jesus. His word guides us. But I want you to know that God has always been after our hearts. He has given us his word not to just punish us, but to show us that he cares. The heartbeat of Holy Scripture is God's love for us. The Word of God is a love letter. It's a collection of books that help us grow in faith and obedience, but more so, it helps us grow to appreciate more the love of God. I want you to know the heart must be right, and for the heart to be right, it must be contrite. Read Jeremiah 4.4. But for the heart to be right, the heart must be contrite. And that brings us back to the idea of fasting. Why do we fast? Well, it is contrition. It's a way for us to admit our sin. It's a way for us to make sure that we are recalibrating and reorienting towards God. 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And if God is changing your heart, he will change your deeds. He will change your words. He will change everything. Now, I want you to see in this passage again that it speaks of God being slow to anger. Um, this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. We are told that God is slow to anger. And I want you to know that this Hebrew concept is quite a word picture. It is, uh, the phrase in Hebrew can also be translated patience. But here's, what it, here's the word picture in the Hebrew. It's of a father watching his child do something very ignorant and doing this. In Hebrew, it means to take a deep breath. Before you speak, before you act, to take a deep breath 
and to do the loving thing. When God's word uses this slow to anger, it's just a, it's just a way to help us understand God. But what it means is, is that he loves you. That God is not going to just pour out wrath on you indiscriminately. He's going to give you every opportunity to turn and be loved. God pours out his deep love on those who confess sin and change their ways. But I'm telling you, it's one thing to say, yeah, pastor, if I'm convicted of some sin, of course I will do that. But I don't know that you will. I, I mean, I, I, I preach about sin a lot. I don't see the altars full a lot. So I'm assuming that most of the time, whatever sins you have, you feel like are, well, you know, passable. Not the kind that disqualify or keep you from, you know, anything important. Let me tell you what the problem is in my heart, and it may be the same for you. The reason why we are not moving mountains from, in ministry is because we are not desperate for God. Only those who are desperate to know more of God will know the sins deep in their hearts. When we get desperate for God, that's when God moves mountains. My grandmother, who was a great realist, used to say, well, I've read that before, but I've never seen any mountains move. And, and my grandma was, was a woman who knew great hurt in her life and pain and suffering and sorrow, lost her husband as a relatively young woman, uh, raised four girls uh, pretty much by herself. She knew what suffering and pain was. I understand where that comes from. But over the years, what I've come to realize is, is that mountains haven't moved, not because God isn't a mountain mover. It's because I'm not desperate to see him move. And I'm asking you, is there any sign, is there any evidence, is there any, any, any data that proves you are desperate for God? And don't tell me how many times you come and worship every week or month or whatever it is. Don't tell me how many ministries you're involved in. Don't tell me how, how many checks you write to the church or to other nonprofit ministries. All those things don't matter because they can be a facade, a fake, something not real. What matters is a heart desperate for God, that the heart that does those things is driven by the grace and mercy of God, the love of God. We do it for the glory of God. We do not do it for ourselves. You want revival? I've heard you do. I've heard several of you say you want it. But until you show, not me, but the Lord, that you are desperate for him, it ain't going to happen. Lamentations 340. Let us test our ways and examine them. And return to Yahweh. Only those who test their ways will find God's way. Let us finish with verse 14. And let me exhort you not to leave any blessings behind. I would hope that you would strive to receive every blessing that God has for you. I would hope that you would not want to leave one single blessing of God behind when you take your last breath on this earth. Life is too short to miss what God has for you. Remember this. God knows what we do not know. He knows it all. And the problem is, is that many times I think because we're not desperate for God, we're leaving behind some great blessings, some things that he wants us to know. Verse 14 is a warning of the danger of not repenting. And the danger is, is that we will leave behind blessings. Look at verse 14. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent? So there we know we can't guess the mind and the heart of God. And, and notice this. He says, but what if God would leave a blessing behind him? So it would be kind of like God leaving us a treasure, uh, something very valuable behind him. So if we're following close to God... Joel says we may be able to glean the blessing that he has for us. 
This is another reminder that what we do with our lives matters. That following Jesus is not just a metaphor. It must be your reality. If you say you want to be blessed of God, you need to be close to Jesus. And you don't want to miss the blessings that he has for you. What you do with your life, your actions matter. Unto destruction if they are sinful. Unto blessedness if they are righteous. Sin keeps us from what I call the blessing cycle. I've been told that just this week it occurred, it occurred to us and staff, we were talking about how blessings was a big part of our culture, some of our phraseology for many years, um, the, the blessings that God gives his people. Well, I'm going to tell you, some of you have been out of the blessing cycle for a long time. You haven't been feeling the blessings of God, and I want you to know the only way to get back in the blessing cycle is repentance, fasting. Sackcloth and ashes, man. We've got to get serious about our sin if we are serious about seeing God move. We need to realize that we have to stop making excuses. And listen, it's not that you're robbing banks and, and, and beating up people in the streets. Most of you, it has nothing to do with the outside actions. It has everything to do with the attitude of your heart, the brokenness of your spirit, the anxiety that you won't let go, the, the, the pain and the anger and the ugliness of your past. You've got to let it go. You've got to see that so many Many of those things that you mask over, cloud around, uh, put fog around, those things are known by God. You have not tricked him at all. What a fool I am to think that I can fool God. I think some people think that if they fast enough, they can get whatever they want. Prosperity gospel is a cancer in the kingdom. You could fast all day long and not get what you want, but you will find what God wants. Joel seems to admit here in verse 14, who knows, right? We don't know. He admits that. If we rent our hearts, well, all we know is that God will not destroy us. If you think fasting is, is uh, just opening the cookie jar of heaven, you're wrong. We can't control God with our repentance and fasting. But our repentance and fasting is what brings our hearts under control and in line with the will of God. You see how that works? You don't fast to control God. You fast so that you submit to God that he might control you. Humble yourself before him. Friends, we must let go of sin so we can be lifted up to where God wants us to be. That's the theme of today. The median age in this room is relatively young there are decades of life and ministry in this room potential for the kingdom unbounded unknown what's next for you the journey that God has for you the calling that he has on your life is profound every one of you Every one of you, like Daniel, you don't have to be clergy or, or anything of the priestly caste. You don't have to come from a certain background. You don't have to have a degree or pedigree. God wants your heart. And he wants to move you in a direction that is life-changing for you and world-changing for us. But you may never get there if you keep carrying that sin. And we're going to finish by giving you the opportunity to lay down the burden so that Jesus can lift you up. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. 
For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.